0: Support for the Film Comment Podcast is provided by Sundance Institute, presenting the Sundance Film Festival january twenty third through february second. More information on the newly announced program, including world premieres, panels, and live music at sundance.org slash program.
1: Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nicholas Rapold and I'm the editor in chief of Film Comment. And this is another episode in our Decade project series. We've been looking back at the past 10 years and talking about our favorite filmmakers, the major changes and trends, and the movies that made a difference. Putting things in perspective, you might say. This week, we're talking about acting and performance in the 2010s, the actors that made their mark, and the tendencies we've noticed along the way. Joining me are Michael Koreski, film comment regular, and Shawnee Enelow a Fordham professor and film comic contributor who wrote a terrific essay for us about a certain restrained acting style that's taken shape. Let's go to the conversation about that and many more things. Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. My name is Nick Repold. I'm the editor-in-chief of Film Comet, and this is another episode in our decade project, which is the catchy name I came up with um, for our series of episodes about the 2010s. Um, it's an attempt to lay out a kind of roadmap, uh, just, you know, give some parameters for talking about 10 years that are hard to get your arms around in a way. Um, you know, people, you know, think they know what they mean when they say the seventies or eighties movies or forties, but the 2010s I think are still congealing, if that's the right metaphor. Um, but uh, So for this episode, we're going to talk about acting and performance in the 2010s, um, whether it's standout performances or actors that really were indicative of the time period in some way, um, people who really made their mark for the first time, or maybe are in a later phase in their career and doing things somewhat differently in, in interesting ways. So to do this, I have an all-star squad of two. <laughs> Starting with
0: Shawnee Enelow, author of Method Acting and Its Discontents and, and film comment contributor.
2: And Michael Koreski, um, film comment contributor, version editor, um, all around nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the people that are laughing about that.
1: <laughs> I think that's great and is something to list on your resume. <laughs> I agree um so i i I mean it's it's, we could begin any particular place but um i I mean i was just interested in doing this also because i guess there's been a little bit of talking about actors in in the 2010s um but along the way it's one of those things where everyone gets caught up in the moment of like a particular star or this and i just want to take a kind of long view um but i mean shawnee what Tell us about the 2010s, and tell us about acting in the uh, 2010s.
0: Oh gosh, <laughs> um, well, back in 2016, I wrote this article for Film Comment yes, <laughs> called "The Great Recession," um, where I was trying to think through the ways that I think acting has really changed in the um, in the 21st century. I mean, that article took the position that, um, you know, somewhat fancifully, took the position that uh, post 2008. Our ideas about um, a, about psychological realism had really shifted. Um, I mean, it, I, I do believe that is true, but I somewhat fancifully put it at the the moment of the Great Recession. Um, although I do think that crystallized a lot of themes that we saw in performances around um, after that year and around that time. Um, and I still, you know, I still basically think that's true that uh, the dominant mode of acting, American acting, that became global acting in a lot of ways that we saw in the 20th century um, has receded, and it's and we can see it in the rearview mirror. I mean, of course, there are still uh, actors and performances that um, revive it, and actually people really love them, uh, I think, because... Of um, the fact that they seem so anachronistic, that somehow um, some of the performances that are the most lauded actually are those that are very twentieth century in their in their aesthetics. Um, but I also think that that various new aesthetics have emerged, um, and that we're still we are still seeing them congeal, and it 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 remains to be seen. I think um, whether you know there will be one. Um, new dominant aesthetic that comes to define the 21st century in the way that there was an aesthetic that defined the 20th or whether actually, um, we're past that in culture and that we don't, um, we no longer see, uh, we no longer see certain, um, kinds of modes of performance dominate the others in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, so that actually gets back to your point about how the 2010s haven't really congealed in the way that the 70s do or the 50s do. I mean, I would argue that that sort of periodizing of decades is a really 20th century phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that the 21st century will look that way to us ever. Like, I'm not sure that we'll be able to... Uh, uh, to, you know, fantasize about decades in the 21st century the same way that we fantasize about decades in the 20th.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. That's the dirty little secret about the Decade Project. (laughs) It will shortly become obsolete. (laughs) And we'll just have to call it the, the thing... The thing, <laughs> the ongoing the march moment. of time. <laughs> right. We we'll just call it march of time, like the old newsreels. <laughs> right. Um. And that that's what what'll happen. Um. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. I mean that that essay, the essay you wrote about uh, this recessive acting style. It's, it was it was. I mean, that was just really. It's one of those things where it's very illuminating because it crystallizes something you, you've been seeing for a while. Um. And I think, Kristen Stewart was was sort of one mm-hmm. central part of that. Um. Jennifer Lawrence. And Jennifer Lawrence. Um. Who who. who it's kind of an interesting like case study and how these things evolve as well because having that recessive acting style but then you know looking at what she did later she she developed different a different range um mm-hmm. after that um i don't know if there's anything to be read in, in that mm-hmm. and, um, mm-hmm. it's because because it, it also mirrors her becoming having a higher profile mm-hmm. and being more of a star and i don't know how that changes things um but yeah i, I do i do agree about decades not being uh, necessary i find them kind of paganistic actually
0: <laughs> what do you mean well just I,
1: maybe I should, i'm not the. i probably shouldn't be saying this but i kind of find like year-end lists and and like it's, it's a very pay, it's like a ceremony you right, know right, like, right. why market at the end of the year yeah. you know and it's kind of arbitrary the whole calendar i don't know the way we put every year effectively becomes like this bucket that's sealed off from prior years yeah um i mean one thing we're going to do hopefully I mean, we are doing on on this podcast is kind of connecting things in different years you know or even years that are next to each other um, films that you wouldn't necessarily compare but are really similar. Um, mm-hmm. Right, They otherwise became so
2: discreet. And, and because yeah. award season has taken over so much of the way we talk about movies yeah. at all, you have these, these strange caprices of the calendar, right? Where, mm-hmm. well, this year it's Parasite versus the Irishman. Well, right. what if Parasite Why? came out last year? Right. <laughs> then it would have been right. Parasite versus Roma. And right. this year would be the Irishman right. versus Marriage Story. Or what, whatever, <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. the stories are. They're completely yeah. invented. Yeah. And, of course, I mean, we don't have to talk on this podcast necessarily about how how um, degraded the discourse has become, <laughs> but um, it, but I think that also does affect actors. It affects performance. Mm-hmm. It affects the way that we um, the way that we look at the art form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: no, I, I think that is that is yeah one other thing you could identify as a strand I, I is yeah people being evaluated according to the size of their performance this is in some way or. I don't know what, like the pedigree of it, mm-hmm. um, even before you actually watch it, it's like, oh, well, that's that's going to be an important role in mm-hmm. some way. That's going to be a major role in some way. Um, and well, Michael, you were saying that uh, when you were thinking of people to talk about, you actually ended up with only one performance that was actually based on a real person.
2: Well, just, I only realized that cause I, yeah. I just
1: went back through the decade and I,
2: I looked at... Um, because I'm an inveterate list maker I still had lists <laughs> of performances that I liked from earlier years because I had voted in various polls so I mm-hmm. still had those word documents in my on my computer which was very helpful um so I was I was making a list I made a list of about you know uh, 30 30ish films uh, performances that really inspired me over the past decade or things that I had actually forgotten about and I remember it being like staggering at the time um and just looking at them I realized that there was only one out of the entire decade that was based that was a performance based on a real person that was Daniel Day Lewis as Lincoln, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the grandest of the decade, the grandest real person performance of the decade, which is also funny because it's still still a work of imagination because we Mm -hmm. don't have, you know, footage. Um, So it's based on hearsay and description and all that. So it is really the way that he modulated the voice, the way that he held himself. It's all based on our understanding of who this myth, this mythic person was. But the only reason I thought of that is because that's what seems to be often prized by awards bodies and right. the Oscars. Like, what, wow, this approximation of a real person? Like, just this year, we have Renee Zellweger as the front runner for the Oscar for being Judy Garland. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not gonna get into that. <laughs> I don't have to talk about that on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, okay. One of the reasons I'm on this podcast is because I don't have to talk about that movie. Um, yeah. But it's just funny because I mean, I don't. it's, it's an odd thing. I, mm-hmm. Actually, Shawnee, I'm curious about how you feel about this whole like, um, this obsession with actors approximation of real people, this, you know, imitation. Because oh, yeah. that's mm. one thing we haven't really talked about as much when, when we talk about performances we love.
0: I guess my question would be, when does that start? When does, when 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 do performances of real people come to be, uh, seen as you know the most prestigious, lauded award worthy performances?
2: I mean, I, I guess I'm not I can't speak you know with complete confidence. But looking back at um, like the history of the Academy Awards for one thing, and just knowing about the, the the studio system in the '30s and '40s, there was like a huge influx of p- prestige movies, especially from MGM, in the you know late '30s, early '40s. So you had biopics, so many biopics, Louis Pasteur, mm-hmm. Emil Zola, Florin Ziegfeld, Madame Curie, and almost always the people playing those 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 roles got Oscar nominations mm-hmm. or won Oscars. I don't think that, um, I'm not sure that that actually ever waned necessarily.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess I I guess what I'm wondering is how much is it about what I'm I'm trying to think through this. I don't I don't I I don't actually have a a pre pre thought thought on this. But how much is it related to the whole apparatus of the prestige movie, you know, that that um, props up the award worthy performance? And how much is it about, you know, why we love to watch people approximate? Uh, historical figures. You know, I mean, I think there is something specific about um, how mm-hmm. impressive it can be um, and how uh, moving it can be to see someone who is dead come to life mm-hmm. in a dramatization. You know, I think that, I think that that is, um, you know, that taps into something deep about why we love performances in general. It has to do, I think, with bringing back the dead and, you know, bringing alive, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, what's gone. And and um, so there's something, just exciting and, and emotional about that inherently, but it also surely has to do with, um, you know, a history of what counts as a, as a prestigious award-worthy movie, you know, and how that relates to, um, you know, film legitimizing itself as an art form and, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, through, you know, through, um, history films or whatever counts as history. So, so through a relationship to, um, uh, you know, th- the period piece um, which is, you know, which is to say, through a relation of fictionalizing history.
2: Mm. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I suppose that there are also examples, and I can think of one from this past decade where there was a very uh, acclaimed approximation of a real person who was still alive and who is still a person in the in 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 the news now, which was Jesse Eisenberg. As Mark oh. Zuckerberg uh, yeah, in The Social right. Network, which That's was also a film that kind of That's kicked off the decade. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Was he nominated for that? He was he nominated. Was, yeah. I think that, that um I think that performance mm. maybe even at you know, having taken this opportunity to put aside the fact that it was based on a real person, um, that performance seemed to set a certain tone also mm. for the decade, I mm. think. How would you describe Ooh. that? Um well, I, I think f- because of the just the nature of that of the Facebook story of the whole thing. Yeah. And what that character was representing and the kind of like the the kind of weirdly intoxicating inwardness of the character. Mm-hmm. Like people yeah. love talking about how much mm. they hated him. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that. That set a strange tone yeah. for performances of the past decade. I think and you see a lot right. of that in a lot of American independent films. Characters you love to hate. Characters you know you wouldn't want to sit next to on a bus, but you love watching on screen. Yeah. Um, yes, and I think Jesse Eisenberg um, just hit that 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 point so 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 well that um, I think it's almost like he couldn't get away from it too. I feel mm. like like every performance since has been has been kind of like a way of um, both trying to escape that role and also recall it and echo it.
0: That's really interesting. I mean, I think that that feels intuitively right to me and that it's also that part of the content of that role, like is intrinsically connected to social media, right? Like that, that, that part of what's going on in, in that performance style is a relationship is being posited between, uh, between real people and, you know, social media avatars or whatever you want to call it. That like, there's something about, um, you know, an, an, inward performance in relation to the social media presentation um, that is that defines I think what we what we look for in acting right now
2: which sort of ties into mm-hmm. your article, yeah. the Great Recession, yeah. which was a really great piece, um, and I still want telling everyone on this. I'm going to tell mm-hmm. everyone on this podcast if you haven't read it yet, go read it. It's um, <laughs> is that also available online? I know it that is it was, available online. It, yes, available it is online, available online yes, I remember because yes, it was it acclaimed. It was one of the best um, pieces of criticism that year in some in some places. Um, sorry, that's just like a little ad for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but it was. But it was not. But I. Th- but uh, honestly, like that piece, I, I think about that piece a lot when I think about when I when I watch a lot of movies and I think about acting and acting styles because I. I, I it's it's not an easy thing to talk about. I think critics often talk about the lot the fact that critics don't talk about <laughs> Acting I think this is kind of a thing we keep going back to yeah um, And so that makes a podcast like this sort of challenging for people like me who write about movies a lot But haven't really studied acting the way that you have Shawnee. It's kind of like your bread and butter. I'm actually really curious also how you um, how you relates st- stagecraft stage acting which is another thing that you're you've, mm. you've very much focused on to film acting and so many of the actors that we have admired i think over the past decade are also stage actors i'm thinking mm. about adam driver i'm thinking of ethan Hawke, um and the and one that i was going to bring up though i can wait a second to talk about it which is who is leslie manville mm-hmm. um who when I when i was going back and thinking about the films the performances that moved me. Um, I, I, I thought of one that kicked the decade off and one that ended the decade just recently. Two performances which have really kind of rocked me in my core. One was Leslie Manville in Mike Lee's Another Year, which was 2010. And most most recently, Alfre Woodard in Clemency, which is a very um, upsetting movie for a mm-hmm. lot of like obvious reasons. It's about capital punishment. And she plays a warden on death row who... Um, is sort of coming to this point in her life where she can't really take what she's doing anymore. But the movie is very cagey and in a, in a good way on how it kind of deals with that character. There's, there's not a lot of, sp- she doesn't have a big speech where she says, I just can't take this anymore. It's just all about watching her slowly crumble. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I find it very, very, very disturbing. And um, the, the internalizing of that performance is is, is um, something something that I I feel like I haven't seen before. But we'll get, I could get back to that in a bit. But to go back to Leslie Manville, because she's someone I've also seen on stage, and her performance in another year, um, is, um, my god, I and mean, we talk about Mike Lee a lot, and we talk about Mike, Mike, the way Mike Lee uses actors. I've never seen anything like what she does in another year, which is that she holds the center of a movie while she's constantly falling into pieces, and it's a very upsetting thing to watch. And then I saw her on stage, uh, I saw her in Ghosts, in Ibsen's Ghosts, and, um, you know. Of course, I realize what a chameleon she is, and all that. Like what you like to say about actors. Wow, that actor is so different from when I saw her last time. You know, this is this is how we talk. Like we're always constantly astonished. But I mean, the, the the way that she holds her body, the way that she the way that she holds her face, the way that she delivers lines was so incredibly different that I I was thinking about the difference between stage acting and screen acting. Mm-hmm. And that's a very long-winded uh, way of getting back to this idea because I think I do think a lot of the actors that we've admired have 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 kind of like gone back and forth between. These modes, which is kind of classical in a way, right?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, so many, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I think you know, so ma- so many actors do um, that for lots of different reasons. Uh, you know, there's the old. The, the old saw about theater being an actor's medium and film being the director's medium, you know, which which I think is really mm-hmm. oversimplifying. And, um, you know, and, and I think that there's there's a kind of, I think that people, of course, you know, sometimes going to theater can be a way for film actors to legitimate themselves, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes, um, you know, film is the way that Actors who think of themselves primarily as actors can make a living. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm really interested in. I'm interested in uh, the way that film contemporary film portrays theater you know that's something that I've kind of been tracking over the last couple years is um uh you know a number of contemporary films including Marriage Story of course um you know uh have it include a representation of theater inside it and I think that is doing very interesting work um uh I guess I guess one of the 2010 movies that is most famous for doing that of course is Birdman um uh I, you know, and I think that there's there's a lot that's being done in um, the ways... Th- there's a lot of work that's being done in the ways we talk about the relationship between film and theater. Um, and in an era like today when there's so much media interpenetration, um, it's very interesting to me the ways that actually people in general still want to separate and distinguish between um, film and theater, like as if these were, um, you know media that that were ever opposed in any meaningful way um this is a, this which, which is in and of itself actually a creation of the middle of the 20th century you know sort of the idea that that theater and film are these to- totally different media and that you know um uh they're they're you know that the, they could never be collapsed because they're doing fundamentally mm. opposing things um uh you know that that actually is um that i that idea comes from a specific historical moment in and of itself. Um, anyway, so so I guess you know rather than say, of course, there are lots of um, technological differences and lots of differences in technique that. Um, uh, you know, that, that, that qualify what actors do in film and in theater. But I'm sort of more interested in, you know, why we persist in wanting to distinguish these media when clearly, you know, we're in a moment of a lot of um, medial confusion. Mm.
2: And you actually, I was, I was thinking, I think we may have talked about this once because it's in my head and I would just assume that <laughs> it was you that I talked about this with, that when those things interpenetrate, when you see um, representations of theater on film, it's almost always negative, right? Oh, it's always yeah. like, oh my God, look at this exploitative, <laughs> terrible, right. hackneyed, ridiculous form. Right. And the other way around, when you when you, when you you put like film into theater, like I've, Eva Van Hove does or something, it's like, it elevates it to this <laughs> new plane, right? Like look what you can do with a camera and live theater. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, Mary Story is an interesting, which I just saw is an interesting, um, case of this because he actually, I mean, and again, there's, the, there's also this thing, I mean, and a lot of people have done this, Jonathan Demi, you know, did this for years, but, um, of including, you know, actual working, um, downtown theater actors in mm. the movie in this weird way. Mm. Um, and, uh, so Marriage Story, there were all these downtown actors who I recognized who were in Adam Driver's, like, really pretty ridiculous looking theater company <laughs> well I'm and
2: sorry, Wallace Shawn Wallace Shawn is Wallace in there who Shawn of course is is, it, is like the number one avatar of this type right like yes. Vanity yes. in 42nd Street yes. by Dinner with Andre right. he's always shows up as this kind of um, right. example of the pompous New York theater intellectual surprisingly durable example yes yes
1: indeed indeed but, but that, but that movie is interesting I mean maybe also just because it's like maybe the least bomb acting of a bombback movie and because he for his his movies they're kind of i feel like people talk in this epigrammatical kind of way a lot of the times where they're, they're they have these perfectly written like one or two liners you know and so the performances are very contained and i wonder mm-hmm. if it's because of the theater element or mm-hmm. not that that and that's a movie where that you know scarlett johansson and adam driver both really are let loose in a way that you haven't really s- seen before you know well, I it's, su-
0: I mean, it's such a throwback to the classic method movies, mm-hmm, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, dramatic conflict, emotional, yeah. <laughs> you know, explosion. <laughs> I mean, it's the, mo- that scene where they fight is just, uh, it's almost a parody of a method acting class kind of yeah. performance, you know, imp- impressive performance, you know, where yeah. um, uh, the, you know, all the, all the passion they've been holding in explodes dramatically. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah. And as, as um, uh, my friend and collaborator, the artist, uh, David Levine, pointed out to me as we were talking about this movie, you know, the fact that they do it in that weird blank apartment that he's living in actually makes it seem like, and I'm quoting David, this is that, that it's like a gallery show about method acting. Like the scene actually becomes weirdly estranging of this mm-hmm. performance style <laughs> because it's in this not quite um, working domestic scene. Um, so Mm -hmm. that is, that is very fascinating to me. And of course that, you know, the, 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 um, the memes about, uh, Scarlett Johansson's performance, which I, to be fair, I actually thought was pretty great. Um, uh, in, in, in in contrast to how I felt about Adam drivers, but, um, (laughs) uh, that, you know, that, that, that people are clearly excited because these performances So obviously, harken back to a style that we've mostly left behind. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, I mean, and just to tie that back into what you were saying earlier about this kind of 20th century acting style, this method style. I mean, Mm. what could you? How do? How how exactly do you define that? I mean, I know this is kind of so much of what you have written about and what you've studied, but like, you know, for someone who thinks they know what method acting is, and then you see Adam Driver. Crumbling to his knees and and, sc- and screaming and crying in the film, which I'm and I'm not saying this didn't to denigrate it I actually loved that performance and I I was in like tears watching it and I actually am not usually as affected by that Sort of acting as I was here. So um, But I I do ask because I, I did at the same time s- Could take a step back and acknowledge it as a particular type of acting mm-hmm. that I hadn't mm-hmm. seen on screen in a long time yeah. So like what yeah. is what is he doing that is so particularly 20th century?
0: I mean so right, so so yeah, I, sh- I should say you know that that when I talk about method acting, I'm using the term sort of as a shorthand for a particular um, brand of psychological realism, you know that comes out um, of uh, the middle of the 20th century that is is you know brought to the U.S. in the um, 20s through. Constantin Stanislavski's uh, theater company, and then the, the the members of that company who stayed in the U.S. and and um, taught here, and then uh, you know the group theater, the whole the whole lineage that we're at least in theater study is very familiar with, from the group theater to you know to the actor Studio and Stella Adler Studio and Sanford Meisner Studio and all and um, uh, you know all the studios that were you know Uta Hagen, all the all these um, acting teachers who set up shop in New York to teach uh, a particular kind of acting although they each had their own very unique and branded um you know to use that word anachronistically takes on uh this style um they were all teaching uh with a particular um, ideology of authenticity how you arrive at psychological authenticity on stage um, or screen um they each had different techniques uh, about how to get there and, you know, not to collapse them because actually those different teachers styles led to different strains. Um, but overall, uh, I think they coalesce into a kind of mainstream, um, understanding and uh, aesthetic of psychological realism, you know, that depends a lot on the drama that's created when, um, people, uh, aren't saying something and then they say something (laughs) so it's Mm -hmm. sort of um you know and and that in some strains of this it's a model of kind of like freudian repression right where you you can't say something and then you allow yourself to say something but it doesn't always have to be that way sometimes it can be like i don't you know I, i mean scarlett johansson's performance might be a good example i don't know how i feel i don't know how i feel i'm gonna say i'm gonna break out and and an emotion is gonna um come through and there's gonna be some truth about how I feel. Um, so as you can as you can see from the way that I'm even like performing this right now, you know, um, it's sort of from small to big. There's a kind of rhythm to these performances um, of every you know from everyday behavior to emotional revelation of some kind. Um, you know, from uh, from you know an even keeled um, uh, tone, you know, to a to a large loud um, break. Um, you know, so that's sort of the, that's the, that's the aesthetic, um, that I'm, that I'm calling, you know, sort of in quotes, uh, method acting or that, that I've called method acting, um, because that's a kind of a shorthand for, for, I think the ways that we understand it. Although I know that people use that term to mean wildly different things and that history interests me too. Um, but so, so, you know, um, uh, Mary's story is kind of in that way, a perfect example of it, um, Mm -hmm. of, of the way that that. That um, uh, you know, a a perfect example of reviving that rhythm Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that um, that model of drama and dramatic action.
1: Yeah, and I mean,
2: and do you see this as obviously because of its roots? Yes and no. But do you see this as an American phenomenon?
0: Well, it is, I mean it is an American phenomenon, but of course it gets globalized because, yeah. through you know the the um, mass distribution of Hollywood in the middle of the twentieth
2: century. So, is there like an example of something over the past ten? I mean, I again in the list that I made, I had a lot of American films. I think that you know something does happen where you have you have biases, you're hearing a performance in your own language, you feel you can understand mm-hmm. it more, yeah. relate to it more. But um, but there were uh, uh, you know a lot of performances from 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 other countries that that moved me deeply. But yeah. um and it's almost like I tried to resist try to resist only responding to American performances, even though I think it's like, it becomes like a default, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Um. I mean, maybe we could talk about Sonia Braga and Aquarius, which is a, was a performance at the top of my list um, from the 2010s. I think it's really extraordinary performance. Um, and you know, it has, I think it's actually a very interesting case study to sort of set against, um, Mm -hmm you know, maybe because this is sort of what we're talking about, set against the marriage story, the acting and marriage story, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's, you know, something that I'm really interested in is the ways that actors can teach us what action is. Um, And Aquarius is a film that does that in, I think, really um, exciting and radical ways. Um, One one of the most impressive things about that performance, you know, has to do with her... um, her decisiveness and the way that she, um, the w- the way that she performs choice, um, which is very different from uh, the kinds of choices that you see, for instance, the actors in *Marriage Story* performing. Um, uh it, it it's it's it, there's a there's a different rhythm to it um there's a different kind of intention to it um it's it's psychologically realist in a certain sense um but when, what we're watching is less uh, you know what we're not looking to see glimpses of her hidden interiority like we're watching her um, make a series of you know ever more profound and consequential decisions Mm -hmm. um and so the the what we're what we're tracking really is is like a an agent um in a different way Support for the film comment podcast is provided by the nonprofit Sundance Institute, presenting the Sundance Film Festival January 23rd through February 2nd, with screenings in Park City, Salt Lake City, and the Sundance Mountain Resort. Discover the newly announced 2020 program, including world premiere films, virtual reality experiences, panels, live music, and more, all at sundance.org/program.
2: I love what you're saying about that performance because it helps clarify something because that was also on my list and and actually when we were um, recording um, a a prior decade project podcast, the first movie I thought of as a definitive film of the decade was Aquarius. Um, for just for so many reasons, what it's you know yeah. what it's about is so much of our moment. Yeah. And I just found the film to be so structurally fascinating and just so incredibly moving. But one of the things I loved about the movie is that it's constantly resisting its own realism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. that's true of what you're saying about the performance too, that maybe mm-hmm. that's why she fits so well into the fabric of the film. It's a movie that has like a linear, um, traditional form of storytelling. It tells a really interesting story. You can get emotionally involved and it has a payoff ending. Even, you know, you can read, so many different things can be read into it, but constantly through the film, um, Kleber Mendonca-Filho, the director, is throwing these little curve balls to kind of set you off track, whether that's kind of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the way that he segments chapters or the way that he jumps ahead in time, sometimes the way that he'll have like a, a, a shard of an image that's like a flashback to an object that has a psychological resonance for the character, and in moments like that, I feel like um, it helps the it, it helps give that kind of um, historical arc to the character who is like you're saying, just kind of playing it as a day by day thing. Like mm-hmm. she wakes up, mm-hmm. this is what I have to do today. Mm-hmm. And I'm going mm-hmm. to achieve the things that I have to do to achieve, you know, to 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 live in the world, the way that I want the world to be. Yeah. And we're just how we all kind of feel now. Right. You wake up in the morning and yeah. it's just like, Oh, here's another day. Can I, I hope that I can make it to the end of the day. And there's something <laughs> like truly heinous doesn't happen. Yes. <laughs> you know?
0: No, that's actually really, that's really fascinating mm. to me what you just said. And I think that's, that feels intuitively really right. Um, you know, in, and, and it makes me think of, um, to go back to this again but it makes it makes me think of you know in the great recession i wrote about the idea um i wrote about these performances as indexing like unspectacular strategies of survival but mostly they were recessive <laughs> they were sort of you know it was it, they were reactive um whereas sonia braga's performance actually shows how that could be and that could, you know how, how those strategies of survival unspectacular though they may be can be active and Mm. intentional and the decisions that we have to make every day are consequential in their way um even though they're not consequential in the form of a narrative arc that we've been taught like like they they change what we think about consequence right by placing them in a different frame the frame of the day instead of say you know the film if that makes hmm. sense,
2: it is, and I know, and I think about this movie a lot, also, because I feel like though it was, it played a can, and it was acclaimed, and people admired it. It was not a movie that everybody had at the top of their list, and I—that's—it's subjective. It's fine. Um, it was my favorite movie of that year. It's one of my favorite yeah. movies of the decade. But I do think Aquarius is a movie that maybe people were resistant to for the reasons we're talking about, in that it had these goals, and it's about a character who wants to achieve those goals, and there's actually something elating about it you actually feel empowered yes. at the end. And I think we tend to prize movies that take away our sense of empowerment mm. more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just the way, I mean, the way oh that we talk God, about Parasite, yeah. the way we talk yeah. about The Irishman, the way we talk, I mean, I mean, honestly, another year, a film that I brought up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that kind of experience that Aquarius gave us, I think, you know, you could go so far as to say Aquarius is a crowd pleaser, the best possible kind of crowd pleaser, <laughs> right? And I think that there's like a, a, a critical resistance to that. Oh, that's really mm.
0: fascinating. I mean, it has to do with. Um, do you think that just has to do with political cynicism and quietism? Like, do you think you know? It's which which feels somehow like as if. I mean, it's the it's the kind of um, prestige TV thing of like dark feels real oh, or sure, like sure. cynical feels. Which is real. what superhero
2: films have become, right? And yeah, right, yeah. right,
0: right, right. Yeah. So, so that actually, you know, um, the idea that that she could do something that would be. An actual political action mm-hmm. is something that people are, are you know, are, are, have trained themselves to think of as, um, you know, uh, naive, mm-hmm. I, you know, um, uh, superficial, banally optimistic, etc.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think this could probably tie nicely into what Ethan Hawke is doing mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. First Reformed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, a movie I know that you admire a little more yes. th- than I do <laughs> which I'd love and I but yes. I'd love to talk about him in general because I think that maybe this does speak to a, the way that he is in his movies in yeah. general because he also is that kind of Ethan Hawke is um, one of my favorite American actors and I think that there is also a kind of like eyes on the prize thing to his performances mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's not he's not recessive mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. he's this thing more classical about him there's something yeah. i mean i'm a huge fan of the before films and before midnight yes. was this decade and yeah. before midnight i mm-hmm. think is an extraordinary film yeah. and in terms of a movie that is um it has this kind of um uh, voyeuristic watch a couple breakdown scene is you, you know more moving to me than marriage story again i like marriage story but the last 45 minutes of before midnight is extraordinary yeah I think. yeah um, in the way that it's able to bring all the, all the things of their relationship for so so many years to bear on, on this one scene. Um, but I think Ethan Hawke and also Julia Delpy in that film are living in that particular moment. How do I get through this scene? How do I get through this moment? They're not Mm -hmm. like holding back in that Mm -hmm, way that mm -hmm, you're talking mm -hmm, about. mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I also, um, I'm a big fan of Ethan Hawke and I think that um, he gave a number of really amazing performances in the last decade, um, including that one. Um, I think, you know, and there's something there's actually, it actually does make sense to me, although they're very different in lots of ways, but it makes sense to me to, to think about him and Sonia Braga in in, in the same conversation, you know, because I, I think that there's something about, um, I mean, people usually, I guess, talk about this in terms of Ethan Hawke's. Uh, emotions feeling earned, which is a little bit, it's it's like a little bit um, I don't know, it feels like a little bit of a cop-out, right? Because he's just gotten older and less pretty. So somehow, you know, he's like he's, somehow he's, he's earned it now. <laughs> 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 he still looks great. You look great, Ethan. <laughs> Eternally sexy. <laughs> um, um, but, but, I, but I do think there's something um there's 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 something about both of those actors, um, who are uh, how can I put this? Who are who are um, not invested in who who are who are actually thinking um, in terms of the present in a different way, as you said, but are not uh, don't seem to have this kind of overlay of self consciousness that I think that you know that maybe we could connect back to the Jesse Eisenberg sort of. Um, it, interior like self-consciousness as interiority which is I think you know maybe another way to talk about that kind of style um there does seem to be a different um you know a, a different mode that isn't looking back at itself that's not um that's not afraid of itself in the same way uh which you know and even as I'm saying this I'm realizing of course you know to talk about living in the moment and you know and not um you know not not doing the dramaturgy these are values of psychological realism and of method Mm. acting of course um but I think that they have it you know they have a different valence uh today and in these in these um uh, in the work of these two actors that we're talking about right now in particular uh maybe in ways that I haven't completely worked out but I think you know I think that I think that um that first reformed, similar to Aquarius, is is a, a you know a film that is trying to think about what it would mean to take action. Um, and the performance you can watch someone actually uh, who who believes that action is possible. And I think that that to me is really powerful. in mm. in, um, in 2019, <laughs> um, when I think that that actually you know as we've been saying, we've come to we've come to accept. Um, and it actually, you know, we, we on some level we want to believe that the most authentic thing is is impotence and impossibility.
2: Hmm. 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 Well, I mean, also you need the the material, right? Like, like you know, how do you, like these are we're well, talking about uh, specifically Sonia Braga and Aquarius, and Ethan Hawke and First Reformed. These are um, you know performances that are completely keyed into these particular roles, and these are mm-hmm. these are roles that are about about kind of political um, mm-hmm. action, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to take political action, mm-hmm. whether that mm-hmm. is, fails or not. Yeah. Um, so that's in the text, right? So I do wonder if there's, mm-hmm. if there's if these performances stand out so much and these films stand out so much because there are so few films this decade that were about political action.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Which segue, um, I think might get us to, to another actor that Michael, uh, w- um, I think you might have wanted to talk about, um, by way of one of the few like kind of radical comedies. Um, Sorry to bother you. Mm. Um, which, oh, yes, I want to talk about. Yeah, okay, Le great. Keith, well, let's yeah. let's get because I, I know Mike. You also mentioned Lakeith Stanfield yeah. as another interesting actor to emerge in this time. Oh, for sure. This is. I like, think yeah. this was this
2: was on she, he was on Shawnee's list. I know this for sure. So oh, you can start. No, 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 no. I you love I love Lakeith Stanfield, and I feel like I I I've seen him too. so much lately. I just saw yeah. Knives Out. I just saw Uncut uh, yeah. Gems for the third time. Um, and I'm a fan of Sorry to Bother You, of course. And um, I mean, I've even liked him from you know when he Get was out. in that horrible. F- no, no, Uh-oh. that terrible. <laughs> I really hated that, <laughs> that first movie that he <laughs> was. Can't in. even speak its name. Um, you know, with Brie Larson, with all the kids, Short Term oh. 12. Oh yeah, awful movie. But he is. He is. Yeah. He was. It was just like, who is that? You know. He's great. Um, yeah. Anyway. Oh <laughs> I, 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 I haven't about him. No, no, I want to hear you talk about him and then I'll jump in because I like him so much and I have well I have so well I'm a yeah. huge fan of Atlanta too. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I mean talk about recessive Yeah, Atlanta. Yes. yes. Um I, I think that what he's doing on that show is kind of like the the Ur er, Lake Heath Stanfield. Um <laughs> but maybe that's just because there's so much of it that I that, that role sort of like overtaken him in my consciousness. But um he's somebody that I just that that does seem to like almost not be there on screen mm-hmm. and it's very sexy, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. right, yeah. and it's yeah. also very. It feels very calculated.
0: Yes, yes. Well, I mean, so okay, okay. Probably, I guess, until uncut gems. But his two most famous roles of the decade are in Get Out and Sorry to Bother You, right? And both of these roles, of course, are about you know what boys call double consciousness, right? It's mm-hmm. you know it's about um, like the 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 contradictions in performance that are required of black Americans um and I think that he's incredibly successful in playing both of these roles um in part because uh he because there is this kind of detachment that feels um uh You know, you, you always have the feeling, I think when you're watching the Keith Stanfield that, that, that he's, he's, he's detached, not because he doesn't know what's going on, but because he is completely aware of what's going on. And, you know, you always sort of feel like he's Mm -hmm. the smartest guy in the room, Mm -hmm. even when he's playing, um, you know, playing dumb, which he has to in these roles. Um, Mm -hmm. and that is, that is actually, that to me sets him apart from a lot of the other, um, from the recessive actors that I talked about in that Mm -hmm. article, um, Mm -hmm. uh um jennifer lawrence uh, michael b jordan um and no i'm forgetting the other side Uh, but 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 he you know uh, kristen stewart right chris you know these are actors actually who are who make you feel like maybe they're the youngest person in the room Mm -hmm. or the most confused person in the room (laughs) Um, you know not i mean not to be not not to not to degrade that can be very effective um but like he stanfield always makes you feel like he's the smartest guy in the room and that is yeah. part of, I think, what's so sexy.
1: Yeah. Well, he, that's, he's also interesting in 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 how that kind of plays with the idea of cool, which is something mm-hmm. I'm always curious how comes and goes. People value it or don't value it from mm-hmm. one, you know, one year to, to the next. And I, I, I do think of him as cool as, as well. So that's like another facet to that, to that smartest guy in, in the room thing. Um, even, yeah, I don't know. So he's cool, oh, yeah. ineffable, <laughs> <Yeah>. ineffable coolness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah. think
2: a lot of people have been talking about um, coolness, <laughs> which <laughs> probably <the> last <laughs> of, of last as around Brad Pitt actually, mm. who had this kind of like career resurgence. Right. That's a good comparison, decade.
0: Brad Pitt and Keith Sample. Hmm. That is a good comparison, I think. Tell Sorry, me Tell on. me yeah. more. <laughs> tell <us> <laughs> <laughs> no, no, me. no. Yeah. But, but I mean, I think that that um, you know, of course, they have different styles brad pitt tend at least used to tend towards manic and now he doesn't so much anymore um but uh in both cases i think you feel actually like this th- what like what's detached is something unhinged about both of them you know mm-hmm. that is part of um what makes you feel like there's 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 something going on that you can't quite grasp that's really fascinating and sexy and exciting yeah that they're restraining Ooh. themselves a bit yeah. that they yeah, actually yeah, yeah. could
2: they could choose to fuck you to up go crazy yeah <laughs> and they're not they're keeping yeah. it inside because they are maintaining some sort of image of themselves right yeah. i mean that's what brad pitt's performance in once a time in hollywood is all about i actually really yeah. loved him in ad astra mm-hmm. this yeah. past year mm-hmm. um yeah. a movie that has a lot of kind of like hoary cliches about you know fathers and sons and uh, but he just he kind of like really brings it all together. And he started the decade with I, one of one of my favorite performances of his, which was The Tree of Life. I mean, right. and I think that's a real and considering this was a decade in which Terrence Malick was doing all of his like experiments with actors, not mm-hmm. all of which I loved as much as some of my <laughs> uh compatriots, but um but Brad Pitt in The Tree of Life for me is m- it, it's 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 at the the very height of what Malick can do with actors when right. when everything kind of works, right? When everything kind of comes together. Brad Pitt is so, it's, it's not cool. I mean, because he's playing, a, he's like a father figure. He's like a 1950s ideal of like a white American male in that movie. But there's something about the way he moves his body, there's something about the way he wears his clothes, the way that he um, is not able to finish sentences when he talks to his sons and he kind of like moves his lips as he's kind of looking off in the distance like he has some sort of private private story or private tragedy or joke or something in his head um he's really he's really channeling something that felt very authentic to me about. American masculinity in that movie. And I know mm. authentic is a very tricky word and I use it mm-hmm. very sparingly,
1: mm. but I really, I, I love that performance. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I, I mean, I, I like both of his performances this year as well, or I guess last year, I forget when Pope put them. anyway, both of his performances in uh, *At ad Astra and once upon a time in Hollywood. And I felt like the love for the Hollywood role there's partly like a real yearning for something he's doing in that, in that movie that, you know, the being like this s- strong, silent, responsible person doesn't need to showboat. I just kind of feel like there's something to, the, he's, you know, something about his performance. There was speaking to some need for a lot of audiences. I think, um, I don't know.
2: Mm-hmm. I am just, just thinking about him now, I was thinking about like who, who's like a female counterpart in, yeah, in American, go that way. In, like mm-hmm. American mm-hmm. stardom. Right. And mm-hmm. And I don't mean like, Who's, who's that level of star, but who is ch- is like channeling some sort of um, idea about, uh, received ideas about their gender in a way. Like I, I, I often come back to Julianne Moore, mm-hmm. uh-huh. actually. That's interesting. Um, I'm tr- in, in terms of this, pa- I, I often think of safe and far from heaven, but in terms of this decade, I know she won her Oscar for Still Alice, a movie I have a lot of personal problems with, but which, made me weep. Um, and there was something about um something about her performance in the the, the Gloria the Gloria remake Gloria Bell. Gloria Bell yeah. Bell, that felt very lived in. Um yeah, Julianne Moore is somebody mm. I'm continually fascinated by yeah. cuz it feels like she could go into any particular register, right? But that yeah. she's always tapping into some sort of
1: idea about herself, about idea about femininity? femininity. Yeah. That's
0: really that's an interesting reading.
1: Yeah. There's something about her. I don't know her use and abandonment of poise. I think is somehow part of it for me. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's mm-hmm. the right word, but mm. I
0: yeah. Know. I mean, I guess I guess it's it's a little hard for me to think about this in part because, you know, um, conventional femininity has a very different relationship to ideas about performance than masculinity mm-hmm. does, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, femininity is are always already supposed to be a performance in ways that masculinity isn't supposed to be. Although now, I mean, now we know it is. <laughs> um, I feel I, like both like of those I, actors wait, are aware of that, though. <laughs> Th- that's why I would, I, yeah. you know,
2: I, I pick them out. Like, no, right, I right. feel like they're both aware of the performances of those of those things. And they bring them into mainstream films.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, that's an interesting reading of Julianne Moore. It's not something I thought about exactly I'd before, about it, I guess. No. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I mean, I, I think of um, I think that I think that the. You know, performances that are explicitly about masculinity, that's a, that's, that's, um, or, or, sorry, rather performances that seem to have a, like, queer take on masculinity that is aware of the performances of masculinity and in some ways subverting them or challenging them, um, it see, strikes me that is a more recent phenomenon than mm-hmm. performances that are aware of and and um, channeling and subverting um, conventions of femininity, which I think is actually just constitutive of um, of female stardom, like from time immemorial, <laughs> like from mm. its invention. <laughs> um, so, so I think that's maybe that's why I'm having trouble thinking about like it, it's it, there's no it's not equivalent um, because I I do think that. Actually, Brad Pitt is sort of central to a moment, you know, that that maybe emerges in the 90s of um, of of like queering masculinity. And well,
2: and I, I know we don't have much time, but just to give a shout out to a performance, because since you're mentioning queerness. Yes. Um, yes. I went to a performance also at the kind of started the decade in, in, a, in a beautiful way for me, which is uh, very attuned to, um, um, you know, closeted. Queerness and, and kind of cl- uh, kind of a closeted, reined-in masculinity. That was Tom Cullen in Weekend, the mm. British film. which yeah. um, it's an amazing movie. I just every time I watch that movie, I mean, they have such a lovely chemistry, these two guys. But there's something about the way that he holds himself through that film, and the way that he's always in this, he's always concealing. Even with even within um, a same-sex relationship where he should be liberated, he's still always concealing himself until mm. the final moments. Um, I find that incredibly moving, and it's just you know you know it's hard to talk about this decade at all without talking about these sorts of codes. You know, like um, movies that were about the um, the situation of white male masculinity, white uh, you know white straight male privilege. I mean. Ruben Osland has been making movies about this now. I feel like the performances by uh, Johannes Kunke and Claes Bang in *Force Majeure* and *The Square* are, you know, potentially two of the most important um, epochal performances of this decade. Mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. that
1: we're going to look back on those movies as being very important and central. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're they're not really saying things you always want to hear, <laughs> or they they they're very clear about some things, and I think that. Certainly with the square, that made that um, harder for me to to um, take. But Force Majeure is definitely just... They're like squirming.
2: Those actors are squirming yeah. in the frame yeah. for the
1: entirety of those films. Yeah. He, he prob- I that I was th- interesting. I just imagine Ruben Austin like, throwing stuff at them or something. <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of Scandinavian von Trier type thing. Um, who is another... Well, I guess Melancholia is 2010, I think, isn't it? 2011. Know, 2011, yeah. Well, he's a, he's an interesting person in terms of his... Relation to. Um, to um, Well making people squirm. Actresses in particular. But um, I don't know. Speaking of recessive. Like Kristen Dunst. And that movie is like. For me one of the better. I know it's not a popular movie for everyone. But in terms of. Um, a portrait of depression. I thought that. The, the grandiosity. It gets the grandiosity of mm-hmm. it. Which is. And, and the torture of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's over the top for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's operatic. And completely self-destructive for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and she gets that on some level i think um but yeah i think we're we're coming to the end of this chapter on acting that's not to say we won't talk more about acting perhaps um any any final thoughts or people you want to make sure you you mention um elizabeth moss came up right i feel just mm. briefly yeah i mean her, tessa thompson was you know, something yes. else i was thinking mm. about
0: someone else i was thinking about
1: yeah
2: okay. elizabeth moss in the alex russ perry movies this decade were really extraordinary i thought i i i lily gladstone and certain women one of the best like is she acting at all what performances i've ever seen i just love her in that movie um it would be kind of awful not to mention um jiang Hiyun yun from poetry Mm. which Mm -hmm. i have a hard time watching again but what an extraordinary extraordinary role. I mean it, the list goes on forever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It goes on and on and on. <laughs> Sandra Hüller and Tony Erdmann, what an, what a, what a thing that was. Oh, yes. Yeah. There's just like being in the theater and watching that movie with like 1100 people and Alice Tully Hall and their responses to what she was doing on screen. I mean, yeah, that was exhilarating. Yes.
0: Yes. That was that. Actually, if we had more time, I would want to talk about that as another importantly political movie of the 2010s.
1: That's true. Well, let's do a little bit. (laughs) Just a little bit. Uh, Well, I mean, just just that. (laughs) No, I I think that I think that, um,
0: uh, you know, similarly to Aquarius in some ways, you know, these are these are films that are trying to think about how we navigate, um, a, a completely, uh, uh, you know, seemingly, um, immovable and predetermined, uh, crushing reality. <laughs> and I, you know, I think that, um, I, what I, I found there, there was a lot that I found very moving about, um, Tony Erdman, but, uh, I, you know, part of it, I think was generational, you know, there was, there was, mm-hmm. um, I really felt in watching it that there was something about being the 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 children of the '60s generation, and you know how like what that actually means, and and um, you know how to navigate a global capitalism. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that has been um, where things that you know we've been taught to value by our parents, the '60s generation, um, have it's it's not that so much that they've been co-opted as, as they've been completely, um, uh, they're, they're completely central to actually like a smooth working of the machine, you know? So things like creativity and, um, you know, uh, collaboration or collective <laughs> mm-hmm. endeavor, you know, that, that in this, in, in, in her world, you know, have become actually a part of, um, you know, team building her mm-hmm. in her corporate, right. uh, life. Um, you know, so I found I found that very moving, and and how you know, given that reality, like how can we think about something like freedom? Um, you know, um, it, 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 yeah, it, it, it seemed to me uh, it was interesting because I had such a strong response to it, and then I I um, recommended it really um, intensely to um, my mentor, who is a, 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 a professor of a wonderful professor of of the '60s generation, and she saw it and she was like. Why she was baffled by it. You know, she it just did not move her. She said, "Yeah, I guess it was kind of funny, but it was you know it had no. It didn't resonate in the mm. same way at all. Um, and that just made me think about, you know how much I think it it is about the emotional life of 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 being a millennial
2: <laughs> mm. right. Yeah. and and it, it it doesn't hit you over the head with this politics, so pe- some people actually miss it which is these days you know political movies are direct they yeah. tell you what you're supposed to know and think right. Tony Erdmann doesn't feel incredibly subtle to me but I I have noticed that with a lot of people they see yeah. it as sort of just like a goofy a, a goofy father daughter um, comedy and it's you know it's it's so much more I wanted to yeah. say one more thing unless you did say something to say about no, no. Tony Erdmann yeah, no. uh, one more thing is that if you ever write a sequel I just thought I thought of two great great recessive performances that great. you would have only seen after the piece was written, which are Ashton Sanders and Moonlight, mm, which yeah. I, I again, a performance I'm I'm haunted yeah. by. Like yeah. When I think of that movie, has, there's so much Moonlight. in that movie. Yeah. When I think of Moonlight, I think of his face first, the way that he folds in on himself. Yeah. It's an incredible job. And then just this past year, honor Swinton Byrne in The Souvenir. Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah. yes. I, 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 I'm still yes. kind of like working through all the incredible emotions i felt watching that film but the fact that a movie that's so intensely emotional in so many ways has that recessive performance at Mm -hmm. the center is um something we'll be studying for a long time
0: yes i love those two performances (laughs) assign me that assignment okay (laughs) 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 it's a deal we
1: have a we have a record of it now All right, well, um, this is wonderful. I'm, I'm sure we could talk for many hours more, and there, I'm sure there are people we haven't talked about that you might want to hear us talk about, so, you know, tell us. <laughs> uh, and we'll, we'll do another chapter, another another installment in the Decade Project. Um, but a big thank you to my two uh, fellow Voyagers in the realm of performance.
0: Thank you, thank Nick. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> I wanted to have a dramatic ending. <laughs> Very dramatic. <laughs>
1: Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.
0: Support for the Film Comment Podcast is provided by Sundance Institute, presenting the Sundance Film Festival January 23rd through February 2nd. More information on the newly announced program, including world premieres, panels, and live music, at sundance.org. program